welcome to the Seneca Podcast, a weekly discussion of current affairs in China brought to you from the pop-up Chinese studio in Beijing. Our hosts, uh, Jeremy Goldcorn and Kaiser Guo, are away this week, so we have the eminent sinologist and linguist, the amazing David Moser as our guest host, in conversation in front of a live audience at Capital M in Beijing with that cheesy git, Mark Roswell, <laughs> aka Dash N. <laughs> Okay, yes. So, yes, you are being podcasted right now. This is going to be part of the Seneca podcast, so this will be let in with the usual uh, uh, cheesy rock music. <laughs> and uh, this will be part of the Seneca podcast. And thank you, Mark. That was very good. You have a future in broadcasting. Thank I think you. you should really go for that. That's really good. And uh, by the way, uh, Kaiser Guo, who couldn't be here today, uh, uh, pays his respects. And Kaiser Guo has famously written uh, that uh, something, I, I'm paraphrasing because I don't have the exact quote, that the, this Dashan guy seems like a, a nice fellow overall, but occasionally I just want to punch him right in the face. <laughs> so uh, I'm wondering if it would be okay if I just start on behalf of Kaiser, just punch you in the face okay. right now. Is that okay? <laughs> Maybe wait to the end of no, the year. I, I didn't know Kaiser when I read that. I, I used to follow his uh, column. It was in the Beijing, or wasn't it? He yeah, did a column, that's right. the back page column. And that was, uh, so I followed that, and I remember seeing that. That was sort of at the, at the peak of the, uh, there was sort of an anti-Dashan backlash in the expat <laughs> community. And I think that, that's one of the things we're going to be talking about today. Right. My, my personal impression that is that it's subsided an awful lot in the last four or five years. It seemed to peak around sort of, I don't know, early, early 2000s. Uh, but that was one of the better ones. I thought that was, that was a fair comment, because there's something about the Dashan character that's a little bit like Mr. Rogers. You know, he's just, I, I smile too much. That's the problem. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It's so nice and it's so full of sunshine and smiles so much. Sometimes you just want to punch him in the face. Yeah, yeah. And I, I, I wrote to him. And I, I, said, I feel that. I, I, I sympathize with that because I, I want to punch that in the face sometimes. <laughs> okay, maybe you could punch yourself in the face here in a minute. Okay. Uh, oh, by the way, uh, thanks again to Capital M. Uh, and uh, this is becoming kind of an incestuous uh, intellectual threesome with the pop-up Chinese and CBT and Capital M. So we're really happy to have. Dashan here, and we're going to start uh, in with uh, you know some of the. Uh, we're going to start in with you know Dashan, and we have Dashan here, which is you, uh, sort of. I mean, I have. I sort of feel like we've invited uh, Clark Kent here to talk about Superman, <laughs> uh, because. But but that's part of the issue that we'll, we'll we be getting at. But okay. let's, let's just let's just dive in, and, and I'm not going to bother introducing you, Mark, because you need an introduction. So, uh, the word viral comes to mind. Back in the 1988, when you became famous, there was no such thing is viral, uh, things going viral on the internet. We didn't have this concept. But in fact, that's what it was. It was Dashan went viral, you know, virtually overnight. And things that go viral, you cannot argue with them. They're just a fact. For whatever reason, you know, if it's indisputable, it goes viral. But very often, you can't really explain why it goes viral. You just give in to, the, to that fact. And every time I think of you in that aspect, I'm reminded there's a famous quotation by uh, a mathematician named John von Neumann. And one of his students said, uh, you know, Professor, I'm learning all these abstract mathematical ideas, but I don't feel like I'm really understanding them. And he said, young man, you never understand ideas in mathematics. You just get used to them. <laughs> so my, my feeling is, my guess is, after all these years, you don't really understand Dashan, but you've, you've just gotten used to him. 
Am I, am I somewhat right uh, about that? Well, well, this is why I talk about Dashan a lot in the third person, because the character, it's not, it's not a character totally removed from myself. I often use the example of Jerry Seinfeld. I mean, on the Jerry Seinfeld show, obviously that's not Jerry Seinfeld as he is in real life, but it's still Jerry Seinfeld. It's a, it's a televised version of Jerry Seinfeld, but he's playing himself. Uh, so Dashan is a stage version of myself, but through my performances, unless I'm playing a specific character with, you know, uh, in a drama, uh, which is something I don't do a lot of. I, normally, I, I'm, I'm simply playing myself on stage, but it, you have to admit that it's a, it's a stage version or it's a polished version of yourself. You're not going to get up and you know, show what you look like when you just get out of bed in the morning before you brush your teeth kind of thing. It's a, it's a, it's a polished version of yourself. And secondly, I think uh, as a public figure or as a celebrity, you have, to, uh, you have to accept the fact that you only control part of your public image. So you can control what you do, you can control what you say, but you can't control how people are editing you, you can't, and you can't control how people are interpreting you. Uh, or how they're perceiving you, right? Then and I, I, you know, just to, I mean, one of the one of the big things I think that's interesting about the character or the phenomenon, if I talk about it in the third person, is that it's it's there's something in there that's a really interesting reflection of how different perceptions can be between audiences. So something a Chinese audience will see Dashan one way, and a foreign audience might see it totally different. And uh, that's been a problem of my career is trying to. You know, you always want to please everyone, right? You, you just want, you, you, you never, you, especially as a performer, the, the more popular you are, you are, the better. But it's really hard to bridge those audiences because the perception is so different. Right. And, and the fact is you go on TV and you just, you know, you do something and then it sort of runs away from you. And so there, there, is, that, there is that sort of third person Well, this is what I'm getting at. Because when I first started asking about this back in 1989, I mean, I think what you were saying then was, I can't believe this is still going on. I thought this was going to die down in a, in a couple of weeks or a month or a year, and it's still going strong. And I, and I felt like at that stage you were you were feeling that you were losing track, you were losing control of the Dashan that was now out there and in the media, and you, you yourself couldn't even keep track of what they were saying about you at that point. Yeah, well, it did. It happened totally as uh, by accident. I mean, the the basic experience, as many people have said, the basic experience of being a foreigner, especially as a as a Westerner or Caucasian in China, is that sooner or later you'll be asked to appear on television. Right. And I, I was by no means the first one. Yeah, uh, why don't you just go ahead and tell that story? Because probably a lot of people don't know how you became famous. What actually, and where even the name Dashan comes from, right? Some people don't know that, yes? Some, yes, a lot of people are raising their hands. Why don't you just basically, yeah. in you know, a few paragraphs, okay. explain how so that happened? I, I uh, studied Chinese at the University of Toronto from 1984 to 88, and I came to China in 88 already with a, with, a, with a BA in Chinese studies, which immediately put me sort of at the top of the class here, because the, I don't know what it's like now, but in those days, there would have been, uh, I think there were 600 students altogether, foreign students at Beijing University, you know, a couple of dozen Americans at least, good 50, 60 Americans. But the typical Western uh, student in China at that time was somebody who'd sort of have done two years, a year or two of Chinese in the States, came to China for a year abroad, and then went back, got some credits, and, and, and graduated. So the average student at Beida, average foreign student, had, had sort of a year or two of Chinese under their belt. Um, I had four years. So when the television station had this idea that we want to have a foreigner do this skit, and we want them to speak this really vernacular sort of Beijing street language, the Beijing Tuhua, um, uh, I was just naturally volunteered by a teacher that had recognized me. It's a Wang Jin show, right? Uh, uh, no, Da Wang. Oh, da Wang, okay. Uh, 
uh, Wang Jingshou. I didn't meet Wang Jingshou until later. He's the professor at Beida that specializes yeah. in this form of, yeah, that's of, okay. uh, yeah, uh, of, of performing arts. Um, so basically, yeah, the, the television station went to Beijing University simply because as the most prestigious university in China, at least in the liberal arts uh, sense, uh, that's where they thought they would find the best foreigners. And uh, I was you know, somebody there who had a little bit more Chinese than the average uh, foreign student. And uh, we went and we did it, and uh, nobody knew what a success it was going to be. In well, fact, what, the skit, uh, describe what it was, yeah. The, so the skit, uh, in that, the, the very first skit where the name Dashan comes from, uh, the name Dashan itself is a joke, right? Because it's, foreigners usually pick really uh, beautiful names with you know, po very poetic, uh, erudite kind of names in Chinese. Or they pick sort of the standard transliteration. Uh, there are not many foreigners that would pick sort of a standard peasant name. Right? That's what Dashan is. It's right. a peasant name. Uh, a country bumpkin name. It's, it's a country so. bumpkin name. <clears throat> Plus there's the expression Kan Dashan, which just means to sort of shoot the shit or chew the fat. It just, you know, to blabber on endlessly. So it's, it's a name that just happens to fit as a stage name for someone with the gift of gab, right? It's somebody, it's somebody who just talks. Um, so the name itself is a joke. Here's a foreigner with this funny peasant name and Kandashan, and isn't that really funny? And the and the skit was two foreigners. I played with a Brazilian girl that had actually grown up in Beijing, so she, sure Chinese blew me away. I still in that skit still had a fairly strong foreign accent, Western accent, but it was all of the most popular street language slang of the day which is kind of dated now but you know it's like, it's like using the internet language now the internet lingo and having a couple of foreigners come and, and just speak like total the the um the, the latest trendy kind of internet lingo. So that was the idea. I think, I think uh, if it was just foreigners speaking Chinese, that wouldn't have enough of a kick to it, but it was foreigners speaking that. You know, there's a, there was a, there's a clip from a movie, is it uh, Good Morning Vietnam? Where uh, Robin, Robin Williams, Williams he's, in, he's in Vietnam and he's talking to this group of uh, Vietnamese peasants and you know, totally blank look on their face and he's trying to get across some idea, I forget, the, I forget the details, but he's talking to these sort of Vietnamese peasants and he's just trying to explain something and they're looking at them with this stone face and then finally this little boy stands up in the back of the, uh, back of the crowd and you, don't, you hadn't seen him before but he stands up and he's got a New York Yankees hat on and he says, it's not that we don't understand, it's that we think you're a fucking asshole. <laughs> And it's just like, it's just totally unexpected from this group of Vietnamese peasants. All of a sudden, this guy with a New York Yankees hat stands up. And that was sort of, I mean, you see, that, that got a response from people. That was the sort of humor in that first skit. So, but here was a blonde-haired, blue-eyed foreigner saying all these things. And this is in a context where they had very, very seldom seen on TV or anywhere foreigners speaking reasonable Mandarin at that well, point in time. Or if they had seen foreigners speaking reasonable Mandarin, it was it was sinologists, or it was right. foreigners, you know, speaking, but sort of textbook Chinese, but maybe with a foreign accent. You know, the stereotypical sort of foreign missionary in China that you see in the movies, that that kind of one. So for foreigners to be speaking that Beijing taxi driver kind of language was the mind blower. So so that's the the viral aspect. So the next day you go out on the street and everyone knows your name. Right. Yeah, and I thought, funny thing is, I thought, I was terrified about performing in front of a live audience of 500. Uh, and in fact, in those days, I didn't understand how TV worked. I thought, I thought the first performance was the big one. And so we did it, I was really nervous, we did the first one, and then they said, okay, we're going to do it again tomorrow. And I thought, why do it tomorrow? It went okay today. <laughs> I, didn't, I guess I didn't understand the concept of dress rehearsal. Uh, so I went back the next day and I just kind of winged it, because I thought, we already got it in the can, right? Today, this, this is just gravy, we're just doing it as a safety. 
So I, I guess maybe I was a little bit looser for the second performance, which is probably a good thing. Right, okay, I wanna, I wanna read something. Uh, so, so at this point, I think the rest is, as they say, is history. I mean, after that it was all but pretty you know, much. I, I, I hesitate to peg it on one thing and say that's something that went viral and then the rest is history because it really, I've always it was, thought... It was after that you started doing Xiangsheng that really it's, did it It's a one-two right. punch. It's right. that, that first thing, that's where the name Dashan comes from and it's primetime TV. And remember, these are the Ed Sullivan days of Chinese TV, so everybody watches the same show. Right. You have people have to remember it wasn't the same as it is now. We have T C D T V one, two, three, four, five, six, seven, eight, nine, two, eleven, no. twelve, Beijing one, two, three, you know. So for, for every if there was a you know, one or two variety shows on, on TV, everybody watched them. And we're well, talking so about hundreds of millions of people. Right? New, and you, you know, New Year's Eve, a big international holiday, there would be one show that you would watch. That would be the only entertainment. Everything else, all the other channels that you could get would be reserving that time for CCTV, because CCTV is doing a big show. And so the estimated audience for that, you know, live audience of five hundred that I was terrified about. And when people started recognizing me in the street, my first reaction was, oh, what a coincidence. He, he was in the audience. <laughs> uh, it wasn't until after the show was broadcast that they told me that the estimated audience was 550 million people. Yeah. Now, even today, with, uh, with television being so ubiquitous, you rarely get an audience that right. big because it's so fragmented. Except for the Chinese New Year Festival. The, the, the yeah, they they yeah. sort of lose count after 800 million. It's like, oh, they, they usually say a billion you know, by yeah. the time everyone watches it. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> yeah, okay. So, uh, the one-two punch, but at this point you've become, you know, a celebrity. I want to read uh, from Peter Hessler's book, River Town. He has a long passage of, because by, by the time he was, when, when, when was he there? Uh, 96, 97, I think. 96, 97. So yeah. by then that's sort of the height of, of your uh, hoopla there. So, um, so I just want to read something. This is, this is Peter Hessler, and it, I read it because some of you, the younger people, probably don't know why so many people want to punch Dashan in the face. <laughs> it's because anyone who spoke any Chinese at all in the 90s, if, as soon as you open your mouth to a cab driver and said anything, you know, like, Dorotian or something, they would say, wow, your Chinese is very good. Do you know Dashan? Or, uh, uh, and so we, we, we grew to hate this guy, you know. And I even knew Mark, and I, and I liked him, but I hated him also. I mean, I hated his... So, so here's Peter Hessler talking about this experience, and I think it's good to read it because it's a very uh, typical. After establishing herself as Old Hundred Names, which is Lao Bai Xin, yeah. uh, the woman started asking me Dashan questions. Dashan was a Canadian who spoke Chinese fluently and appeared frequently on television, and he was without a doubt the most famous white warrior in China. He was what people called a Zhongguotong, a foreigner who knew about China, or essentially a China hand. On good language days, people referred to me as Zhongguotong, but I knew I was, it was only flattery. I had a long way to go before I could be accepted as a China hand, and for what, from what I had seen of Dashan, this wasn't a particularly appealing goal. Probably he was a nice enough person, but in his crosstalk comedy routines and opera singing, there was more than a touch of the trained monkey. People everywhere asked me about Dashan, and his fame testified to how badly foreigners did with the Chinese language. It was the equivalent of, American, of, an, of Americans becoming fascinated with a Chinese person simply because he spoke idiomatic English. Do you know Dashan? The woman asked. You speak our Chinese well, but you're not as good as Dashan. Uh, yes, uh, he speaks much better than me. This is why most white were in 
China hated Dashan. The more your Chinese improved, the more you ch and the more you chatted with the old hundred names, the more you heard about Dashan and how much better than you he was. <laughs> Do you know him? The woman asked. There was another. Com this was another common assumption that all Weiburin who studied Chinese knew each other, maintaining contact through an intricate na na nationwide system like the Freemasons. No, I said, I, I've never met Dashan. He's very good at crosstalk. He's very funny. Dui, I've seen him do it. Indeed, he's very good. Dashan speaks Mandarin better than most Chinese, the woman said. Yes, that's what many people tell me. And he can sing our traditional Chinese songs. Is he from America? No, he's from Canada. What do people in America think of Dashan? We don't have Dashan in television in our America. Nobody in America even knows who he is. Oh, so he's only on television in their Canada? He's not on television in their Canada either. The only place where he's on television is China. For the woman, like many Chinese that I met, this was a great disappointment. It was, it was tragic for a nation to produce somebody as gifted as Dashan and allow a foreign country to monopolize his skills. But in fact, as I explained to the woman, this is a common pattern in Canada where all the talent leaves the country as soon as possible, just like NHL franchises. She thought about this for a while and then continued talking about Dashan. So I mean, that's very good, succinct explanation of the Dashan from that. What, what is your, and you've never talked to Peter Hessler about this, No. But what you, well, what's funny, there was a, there was a, uh, <laughs> I, I liked he's not in China now. Do you want to punch him in the face, by the way? <laughs> no, well, the thing is about that passage, the thing that people remember is the, is the trained monkey label, and that's yeah. the only thing I think is unfair. I yeah. think his, his uh, portrayal of Dashan, or of the phenomenon, the public phenomenon of Dashan, especially in the late 90s, in the period when he was writing that book, is actually very accurate. The, yeah. the trained monkey thing is, is really given as a sort of a throwaway comment with no justification. And so my question was always, what, what show did he see that gave him that impression? Right? I, uh, there's a lot of things but, here. But, but I, I, just not to defend him exactly, but I mean, it's, it's, it's an analogy that might come to mind. Not that you were intentionally doing anything, but that for Chinese, the novelty of seeing, seeing this uh, you know, fluent Mandarin-speaking foreigner was like seeing a trained monkey, which is, oh, how cute. He can ride a bicycle. He can beg for money or something like that. Yeah, Isn't but that I, what he I, so I understand that perception. Yeah. I, I just think it's a very superficial perception. Yeah. yeah. Okay. Um, I I thought about writing. I so I, I sort of let it go. I. I um, I guess, you know, in those days, you couldn't just sort of look someone up on the internet and write them either, right? It was hard to find people. I, I didn't know how to find Peter Hessler. Right. Nowadays, you just Google, and sooner or later, you can, you can find someone. Um, I was going to write to him about a year ago, because there was an interview that came out where he finally talked about... He said, he, he, he said you know, maybe I'm a little harsh. And again, I was reading this article in Chinese, so maybe, I'm, maybe he's misquoted, maybe I'm paraphrasing. But he said, you know, maybe I was a little bit harsh on Dash N, but my problem with Dash is that he compromises with politics. And uh, I think, you know, as a foreigner in China, you have to maintain a distance. You shouldn't be on state te television, which is a problem because all television in China is in state right. television. I mean, according to that logic, no foreigner should ever appear on Chinese TV. Uh, and he said, you know, I was in Fuling and I saw one show that I thought was really wrong. And I thought, oh, finally, I'm going to get an answer to this question. What was the trained monkey? And um, it, it turns out that it was in 1998, he saw me uh, at the 100th anniversary of the founding of Beijing University, which coincides with the May 4th 
celebration. They, they, they do that on purpose because, of course, May 4th, 1919 is sort of the, the golden age of, of Beijing University when the, the, a, a successful student movement in that, in that sense really changed the course of history. And China, uh, Beijing University celebrates their, their anniversary on May 4th. And it was the 100th anniversary. And I was at Beida for three years. I mean, I was an alumni of the, I was an alumnus of the university. So for me to actually do that show, I didn't think of it in any way as a political statement. Uh, I wonder if he's getting June 4th and May 4th mixed up because they're, <laughs> you know, they're, they're a little bit different. We were celebrating May 4th in that situation. And as an alumnus of the university, and in the skit that I performed, you know, I, I've done a lot of dumb shows in my life, but that's actually one of the better ones. Um, so I, about a year ago, after I read that, I thought, you know, I should really, I, I should get together with Peter and say, you know, this, there's, there seems to be a perception gap here. And then I thought, wow, Rivertown is already, it's almost a decade ago, eh? it's, uh, I'm sort of, it's sort of water under the bridge, so, so I never have, but I, I definitely would like to, you know, I have, I have followed up, for instance, Ian Johnson once wrote something that I thought was unfair, and, uh, and I just wrote him up. And he wrote back, and he explained why he'd written it that way. And we had, we had, you know, I've always been very open that way. Mm -hmm. um, I think it's not I've that the it's not that the criticism doesn't bother me, but I've never, I've never, uh, you know, I've never, I've never made enemies out of it. I understand that the, these writers are writing for a Western audience, and again, the perception is so different. You're writing. Ian Johnson basically said this to me. He said, you know, I understand your point and everything, but I hope you understand that I have to write for my readers. You know, I have to write what they were interested in. So I just think it's really the, it's the same thing I'm doing. I'm performing for my audience, and you're writing for your readers. We're both. We're both, you know, trying to come up with something that speaks to that audience, and there just seems to be a big gap between those two. Yeah, I think this part of the problem you're caught in the middle, and also the, what I, the phenomenon I just mentioned, where you're sort of out of, you don't have control over the, re, the repercussions and the media uh, uh, hoopla surrounding you, well, and and people people who don't know you personally would see only that, and they have associations that are based not just on just that skit, but on the, the whole Dashan. Mm. You know, well, and also, I think an important point here too is that when I look at the criticism that comes up, and you know, the nice thing about the internet is that it's people used to talk about behind your back, but they don't anymore. It's all it's all out in the front, um, and that actually is uh, maybe I'll just this is a bit of a segue, but that's that's a big difference in media in China in the last 25 years or so is that you used to be characters were either black or white, you're either good or bad. You didn't have controversial public figures 25 years ago. You do you didn't have people you know you, just in the world of comedy you didn't have characters like Guo Degang or Jolie Bo or these characters that actually court controversy. The more controversy, yeah. the better. Uh, Guo Degang's uh, San Su, jo Jolie yeah. Bo's I mean, uh, family issues. And he's stuff benefited like from the right, from exactly. the controversy, yeah. and, and he loves it. Um, but I think a lot of the criticism really has when I when I look at it, it's more or in many cases it's it's a uh, it's a backlash against the phenomenon of foreigners on Chinese TV. And because I'm the most famous, I'm considered the poster boy. Uh, so, so the poster boy becomes the whipping boy, I guess. Um, and I, I've never accepted that because I, I can't control what other people do on TV. You know, for instance, this last week I was doing Han Yuqiao, uh, Chinese bridge in um, Changsha, and I look at some of the stuff on stage and I think, why are they doing that? You know, but I, these the university students from around the world, and they're dressed up. The guy from Australia was dressed up in a kangaroo outfit. The guy from Canada, fittingly enough, was dressed in a in a clown suit. And I, I, I had to interview him on stage, and I went up and I said, Ah, you today wearing our national dress today. And uh, 
you know, he was from Montreal, so I guess that's appropriate with Cirque du Soleil. But, that, but that's the thing. I, I only represent myself. So when I go to this show in Changsha, I try to do the best job I can as a TV host and do something that I think is, is acceptable. And I have a lot of control over that. I, I take responsibility for my performances because I have the ability to say no if I don't want to do something. So I do what I want. And, if, and the, you know, the, choices are, the choices are mine and I take responsibility for them. But I can't control what everyone else is doing on stage. But that's, this is part of the problem. Maybe we'll slip on to this, this other issue here, kind of the foreigners on TV and the issue of, of two issues I want to talk about. One is uh, Chinese national face and also the, what, what role foreigners play in this. Because as you said, I mean, you said uh, by, by Peter Hessler's logic, no foreigner should ever appear on TV. But a lot of foreigners, uh, if they're going to be have intellectual dishonesty about the criticism, would say, yes, as a matter of fact, no foreigners ever should appear on TV because none of them are there for no reason at all, even if implicitly. I mean, I, I, I do think that any foreigner who goes on TV just needs to be prepared for the fact that they're partly being used at some at some level to be to legitimize something or at least to. But the case of Han Yuqiao and then and then foreigners on TV with with th with doing Chinese singing Chinese songs and doing Chinese traditional arts. There's definitely something about national uh, nationalism and face and assertion of you know the the, the Chinese culture, the value of Chinese culture. Um, yeah, although I would say though that I think the, the perception of that in the West is much more focused on the political issue. Um, well, it's all of a piece, Mark. I mean, you can't separate that from the, the what we would call politics proper, where you're talking about human rights and this kind of thing. I mean, let's, 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 let's pick a concrete example, and then the Han Yuqiao is a good example, too. Uh, you and I were on the, the Chunhua, the, 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 the yeah. Chinese Spring Festival, with, with two other foreigners. There were four foreigners uh, in 1999, was it? 97, 99, I think. 98. 98, 98. okay. Yeah. Um, and, uh, I mean, maybe you want to briefly tell that story. I don't oh, know. you're right. It was 99. It was 99, because I was on 98, and I, that was 1999. Yeah, so okay. the four of us... The Four of us, you and I, and Karlo, who uh, I always think of him as Yugoslavian, but I guess yeah. he's Serbian. Nansalafu, which doesn't exist is. anymore. <laughs> yeah. um, and uh, Lulu, which was a really funny name for a black guy, because of course Lulu is uh, is a is coconut the, milk. Yeah, coconut milk. Right? Yeah. But that, I mean, anyway, that, never mind that. that Go on with the story. Name. That was the real name. <laughs> so, Attention deficit disorder, Mark. So, Go on. Okay, but the, this skit, I don't see uh, politically what's wrong with that skit because basically. Wait, 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 wait. You got let me explain it. Got don't jump ahead. The point was that we originally had this skit with four foreigners, and we were going to do some, you know, foreign. We talked about issues about being a foreigner in China, and every time we went through the the, the shencha, what do you call that, the the reevaluation censorship process. They would cut the time down from what started out like 15 yeah. minutes and was cut down to 10 and then 8. And they would cut part of it and then they would always keep adding more and more elements of the foreigners praising China and saying well, how great China was. And so finally to the final version of the skit was only like four minutes long and it was essentially four foreigners up there on the stage each trying to outdo themselves on how much they like China more than the other one. And they would say, well, I have a Chinese well, wife. Well, I have a Chinese wife too. What do you call her? Well, I call her, you know, well, Nate calls or something, you know. And, yeah. and so it was, it was, in the end, it was a contest to, to show these four, you know, how these four foreigners were falling over themselves to be fawning, uh, obsequious love of China. That 
that was the, that was the whole point. But, but I don't I don't recall that there was any sort of social. Co I mean, that was the that was the concept of the skit from the beginning. It yes. was cut. It was cut yeah. from eight so minutes I mean, to six to four and a half. But it's not like we had sort of biting social commentary, and that was all cut no, out. No, no, but, but there that was left. but there was some some content that was not obsequious funny. They, and, which they and, cut, <laughs> and basically it, it was. But you know, I don't. Again, I don't know if that's a political decision or if it's just that it wasn't a very funny skit, so they didn't want to give us eight minutes, and they, they gave they cut us down to four minutes. And in the end, I realized they gave us I think four and a half minutes. And in the end, I realized that was about four minutes too many, because all we needed was thirty seconds to go up on stage on behalf of the peoples of the world, the the, the yeah. you know, goji yoren, right? You know, not well, not okay, all the peoples of the China, of the world, just the friendly people. <laughs> all the friendly people of the world just saying, you know, happy Chinese New Year to our Chinese friends. That's we all only it was. needed 30 seconds to do that. That's and they right. gave us four and a half minutes. Right. But it was it was a, it was a skit, you know, like like many TV skits. It was basically devoid of content. Yeah. It was just a, it was just a funny celebration of foreigners celebrating Chinese New Year and saying, you know, we like Chinese culture and happy Chinese New Year to everyone. Um, which is which is the standard formula. And then back to so that's 1999. And, and now it's 2013 and the recent uh, show Han Yu was the same message. It's the same message. Look how much we love China. I love China more than you do. You know. So my so my, my question is, despite the fact that you are more savvy than that, and you are more nuanced than that, and you are more complex than that, the problem is the Dashan image is rolled up into that whole uh, sort of whether it's a conscious political agenda or not. But you got to admit, it's part of the, the the producers and directors and the people who produce those shows. It's part of their stereotype yeah. default way of presenting foreigners. And and for what for what better words, you're caught up in that. That not you, but <laughs> the Dashan image sure. that's out there is rolled all up in that. So sure. I mean, how do you deal with well, again, I I don't see it as a political issue. I think that's a cultural issue. I don't I don't know when Chinese audiences will get tired of that. Um, and the, I, I said to my agent the other day, I said, you know, the problem with these shows is that the writers now are people born, you know, they're the Jioling Ho. They're people born in the 90s that are writing stuff for us, and they're just doing the same old stereotypes. And she thought that was a she thought that was a contradiction. She said, you know, these are young people. These are like the twenty somethings. What do you mean they're stuck on these stereotypes? And I just think, well, you know, maybe by the time they're forty, they'll they'll realize that these are these stereotypes are no longer valid. But right now, they're these are people that have only been working in TV for a year or two, and they're just they're just doing the same stuff over and over. I think yeah. you, you get to a certain age before you realize this is nonsense. <laughs> yeah, they're also doing something safe. You know, the other thing is that the I I kind of because I'm thinking as a foreigner, I'm talking to my co-host, who's a, a Chinese, he's actually a Chinese-Canadian, he works in Canada as well, it was kind of coincidence, he was back in China doing shows, and I said, you know, if we ever did this show in Canada, and we dressed Chinese up in costumes, and uh, had sort of an English, you know, and we wrote scripts for them, we didn't allow them to write their own script, you can tell the scripts are written by the Chinese uh, editors, the writers, I said, you know, I don't think Chinese would, would accept a show like this, but I, on the other hand, I look at the guys on stage, these university students from around the world, and they seem to be genuinely having fun. And you know, when I was that age, when we went on TV, it was a lark, right? You do it for a lark. Uh, so I think you have a you have a very different perspective when you do it as a career, as you do when you're in China just for a year, and it's like, oh, I'm on TV. Yeah, let's, you know, <laughs> you know, let me put on the bunny suit. Yeah. 
Well, you, 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 you get the issue. You see, you're, you're, you see, I think we but see it the same way. Yeah, yeah. I, I get your point. In, in terms of perception, I'm rolled into that because right. people see me as the poster boy for that. And my reaction is just, you know, I'm in control of what I do on stage. Before I arrive at the TV station, I don't know what they've planned. I know in general what the show is, and I've agreed to do the show. My script is never determined until I arrive there anyway, so right. I, don't, I, I don't sweat it before I arrive. And then I, but you know, you're, you're rolled up into this. But I don't, I, Chinese audiences don't see it as objectionable. No, and of course the, not. And the participants seem to enjoy it, so it's the critics that don't like it. <laughs> Okay. Well, and the, to take a leap from there and say, you know, this is like the, that's often done, and say this is legitimizing the Communist Party of China. I often use that as a joke with my Chinese friends because they say, you know, one of the things I get criticized for is this idea that I legitimize the Chinese state, and they think it's hilarious that a that a foreigner doing tongue twisters legitimizes one of the most powerful political organizations on the face of the planet. <laughs> yeah, I, I exactly. Don't think they no. need me. <laughs> <laughs> so maybe you want to punch them in the face, right? <laughs> but, and, uh, and I guess my perspective is to say, okay, the, one of the big problems is, is that we have this real us versus them mentality on both sides of the fence, I think. And so what I try to do is just convey the idea, yes, I like Chinese culture. Uh, it's not impossible for foreigners to learn about China. It's not impossible for foreigners to understand China, as is the common perception in, in China. And we're not at war with each other. So yeah. you know, let's get let's get out of this sort of well, bipolar me, us versus them thing. Well, exactly. Well, I'm going to get into that a little bit because you, as cultural ambassador now, I mean, essentially that's part of your role now, and not just for Canada, but in some sense, you know. The, and I think it's partly what we've talked about before, and you've mentioned. There's nothing wrong with a foreigner coming here and going to the extra effort of learning the culture, learning the language, because you generally have interest in it, and that's a, that's a source of goodwill, and it's not fake. And it's uh, it's even laudable. And uh, what's wrong with doing it? And that's your, in a certain sense, that's where the national face comes into it. Because don't you think there are a lot of Chinese people that see that, and they they actually have a, a great you know groundswell of goodwill towards that, saying. We spend so much time learning from the West, learning English, That's a worshiping thing. Western things. Here's someone who's doing it in reverse. Isn't, isn't that a, a thing that any Chinese uh, yeah. audience will find gratifying? That's a big thing. That's, well, that's why I often say, and I, I said rather flippantly in that um, the blurb we did for that's Beijing, uh, that Dashen is the joke. Um, and what I mean by that is that I've often thought of the, the success of Dashan is not a comedic phenomenon, it's a cultural phenomenon. And it's not because I say funny things, people ask me to tell jokes and everything, it's not because I tell jokes or anything, it's what the character represents in a cultural sense. And, and, uh, and it's inter that perception has changed in China over 25 or 30 years, but if we go back to sort of the, through the 1990s, this idea, and, and it's still, it's shifted, it's still, it's still relevant now, although it's shifted a little bit. This idea that here we are opening to the outside world, all of our kids are learning English, uh, their Chinese is going downhill, nobody does calligraphy anymore, um, the China, traditional Chinese culture is being lost, all the kids are going to Starbucks and McDonald's, um, you know, this, this tremendous, you know, this tremendous push to join the outside world comes with a, with a sense of insecurity that we're losing what it means to be Chinese. And in the middle of that, you have the guy who comes from the other side of the world, who's learning, China, not just learning Chinese, but learning traditional Chinese performing arts, and he's, you know, the whole tra traditional uh, cultural package. And it's an extremely reassuring sense that, you know, as 
in this global community, the global community doesn't just mean we all move to Hollywood. You know, the, the foreigners, we're, we're going to meet somehow halfway. And I, that's what I think has been a big thing behind the success of the, of the character, is that idea that it's a very reassuring thing. That you know, they're, they're, we're not just losing what it means to be Chinese. Yeah, I agree. That's the, sort of the point I've been making here. It's a cultural phenomenon, not a. It's not an entertainment issue. It's a cultural issue. And by the way, you just you just spoke about Dashan for ten minutes in third person. Yeah. So that's a clue that we're, uh, of, of, you know, when we when we're in that territory where it's no longer you, it's Dashan. Yeah. And that's the that's the problem. But yeah. at least when I, I say, well, this last week I went to Changsha. It wasn't yeah. Dashan went to Changsha, right? <laughs> Maybe you could get paid twice. You know. That would be great. Uh, let's let's move away from Dajan just a little bit, or you, i.e., you, um, and talk about just humor, because a lot of people probably ask you, you know, about Chinese humor, and surely you must know about quote unquote Chinese humor. I think I know your answer right. to this, but but do you have? Any comments well, about I'm, the difference, I'm, if, there, if there are any cultural differences? I, 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 sort of a universal theme for me that I keep coming back to is, is to get away from this bipolar world where you're either a foreigner or you're Chinese. Because, you know, as a, as a performer in China, you're dealing with audiences. And as any, especially any comedian knows, no, the audiences are, are hugely varied. So whether, what, not just in a city, you know, the audiences between Guangzhou and Beijing are, are completely different. But within Beijing, what kind of audience are you reaching in this? Uh, in this, so to to boil everything down to, you're either A or B. You're either Chinese. I mean, that's the problem that overseas Chinese have: is that this sense of, um, you know, am I a Chinese or am I American, or how do you be both? Um, and I, I think, you know, I understand that Chinese have a very strong sense of, of uh, a collective identity. And I understand that there are sort of generalizations you can make about East versus West and everything. But we've got to get beyond that. And we've got to recognize the, the diversity in China. I think Chinese people especially need to recognize the diversity in their own country. You notice Chinese people um, often feel totally confident speaking on behalf of all Chinese. Yeah. Uh, because they think there's this, and that homogeneity really doesn't exist. But we, yeah. it's, it's, sort of, it's sort of enforced. Okay, you're the foreigner, I'm the Chinese. And I think from the West we do that too. You know, tell me about China. What's China like? It's like, you know, people ask me, I've got, I've got 10 days to visit China. Where should I go? And I just think if it was Europe, they wouldn't ask that, right? If I've got, I've got what are Europeans days, like? <laughs> yeah, what, well, I've got 10 days to visit Europe. Where should I go? And you say, okay, well, maybe Paris uh, and Rome. And they say, no, no, I, don't want, I want to get off the beaten track. Uh, well, you know, maybe you could try the, Copenhagen and Barcelona. I mean, you know what? It, what you know, that's what they do in China, though. Right. It's like I was in Dali, and now I'm in Xi'an, and I'm going to Harbin tomorrow. Well, let, let me getting back to the. I get your point. I, I agree. I think I, we agree with this. But uh, let me give a concrete example, sort of illustrate your point. Maybe I've been reading uh, the last year or so a lot of uh, Qing Dynasty joke books. Okay. And uh, I'm just interested in that humor of that, and most of them are not funny, or at least I can't understand them, or maybe had to be there, which I can never be there. But, but here's, a, here's a Qing Dynasty joke. It's a real Qing Dynasty joke. Um, a, a, a husband dies, and the loyal wife is there at the, the, the funeral, and the body's out there. And the wife, is, you know, in tears, is, has, holds a, a fan in her hand, and she's fanning the body constantly. You know, the loyal, virtuous wife fanning the husband's body. And people are like, look, what a loving wife, 
fan, husband's dead and she's fanning the body. And she just keeps fanning, fanning all afternoon long. And finally somebody says, look, we understand what you're doing, but I mean, the guy's dead, you're, this fanning's not doing any good. And she says, oh no, he told me that his body had to be stone cold before I could go looking for another husband. <laughs> yeah, so, so this is a Qing Dynasty joke, right? And th this is yeah. a little bit, now, now, update that. Here's an American stand-up comedy joke that I took, that I just heard, you know, stand-up comedy, I can't remember who it was even, maybe Rodney Dangerfield or somebody, it says, uh, the wife is about to die. And she goes, and she says to her husband, dear, I've only got a few months to live, you know, and I'm, I'm gonna leave you. And she says, oh, don't say that. Says, no, no, I mean, and you know, you're still young, I'm gonna die soon, I think you need to take another wife. I said, oh, I can't even, no, don't even say it, I could never love anyone but you. No, no, really, you're still young, you, you, you'll be lonely, you need to have a wife. And furthermore, you've given me so many beautiful clothes all over the years, there's so many dresses and things. I want your new wife to have all those clothes, I want her to wear all those clothes. And the husband says, it won't work. She's a size 8, you're a size 10. <laughs> now, you tell okay, me, but bada boom, you tell me that those aren't the same joke. You told me yeah. those aren't the same joke. Now, the, the, here's my point that I didn't want to answer this question. Um, one is in the Qing Dynasty, the other is in modern America, right? But the interesting thing is, those, there are all, all kinds of these even more body jokes and like sex jokes and things in these joke books. But that's China. That's Chinese traditional culture, and yet a lot of those jokes couldn't make it onto mainstream CCTV now in the 21st century. Yeah. So, so what what can you say well, about, the, the, about what what how the fate of humor in in modern China is what I'm going to say? Okay, but you've moved now from the sense of humor, in which case there there's a universal human experience, and a lot of a lot of humor simply comes from the universal human experience. So, you know, any culture will have sort of mother-in-law jokes because that's a that's a that's a biological thing that mother-in-law and wives, your, your husband, their son's wives tend to have difficult relationships, and the son is stuck in the middle. So that's a uni that's part of the universal human experience. Um, there are there are um, culturally specific humor, but again, the the concepts behind that, the content is culturally specific. So, for instance, the the Xiangsheng Wai Pi San Guo, you know, a, a, a sort of a humorous look at the romance of the three, three kingdoms, this romantic, this the traditional piece of Chinese literature doesn't go over at all in the West because nobody knows which three kingdoms you're talking about. But in the same sense, you know, uh, the life of Brian or any kind of humor based on the stories of the Bible are stories that any Westerner, Christian or not, is familiar with that we find funny when they're when they're twisted but Chinese wouldn't because they wouldn't necessarily know you know blessed are the cheesemakers why why the cheesemakers you know that that's I, sort of I, I know what you're saying but that's not the question but I'm asking though the second well you, you I'm actually political it, I'm talking about censorship here yeah yeah you, okay. you shifted it into the political realm is why is why is nothing on CCTV funny when in fact if you you look if you go to some of the uh, you go to some of the comedy clubs or or even nightclubs or you know the um, dinner table humor in China is very racy and like totally open. That's my point. Right. So why isn't that being reflected so why, in the mainstream media? It's a, it's a control thing. That's all I can say. Yeah. It's a control thing. Chinese and especially the Chinese government are very serious about control and they don't, uh, you know, I, I often think that the, um, the phrase uh, harmony, that uh, harmony, ha harmonious society yeah. was, a, was a brilliant, uh, <laughs> was a brilliant sort of label to come up with because Westerners, when we first heard that China was going to build a harmonious society. I think what Westerners thought is that they were going to, you know, let a hundred flowers bloom, and that you would everyone would be playing their own instrument, but you know it would all be the orchestra, and it would it would all sort of work out. 
Um, but that's not what they intended. A harmonious society, uh, you know, to use the music analogy, means that everyone everyone plays from the same sheet of music. Right. That's very much the Chinese. And I wouldn't, I would hesitate to just say that's a communist issue. That's the Chinese Communist Party. I think that's that's uh, that's there's also a cultural element to that, where that's just that's just a, a, a Chinese cultural political phenomenon. Right. They're much more they're much more control oriented, rather than just sort of let things flow and it'll work out in balance. Yeah, I guess the point I was just making is that uh, this this universality you're talking about is very evident when you're on the at the grassroots level. You hear the same kind of jokes, the same kind of when you feel like there's no difference in sense of humor. But yeah. the difference is what bubbles up to to what you would call mainstream media, and there it's a very different world. But again, that's something that I've tried to <coughs> I've tried to battle against in my career, just in the idea of. of Presenting this idea, that, or you know, being again just representing myself as as an individual, but not buying into that us versus them right. uh, dichotomy that that uh, that that we're at war somehow. Yeah, no, I can't. Um, because I think that's something that the Chinese state, as well as uh, you know, the large segments of the Chinese uh, population, fall back on is that the West is resentful of our uh, development. Uh, they don't like us. They you know they still believe in this yellow peril thing, um, and. Uh, and you know, basically, the, the world or the West uh, is that in, we're engaged in a cultural warfare. I mean, you—that's what you see. The left wing, the 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 hard—I would I, I hesitate to say left and right. The, those sort of hardliners on on uh, Chinese social media—they just believe that China is at war. And so, uh, rather than build into that and say, you know, hold back and say, you know, I can't work with you, I can't be associated with you and everything because you're on that side and I'm on this side and everything, I think that simply plays into this myth that we're at war, that there's some sort of cultural war happening here. Right, right. And so... Uh, our, friend Joe, our friend Joe Wang, Huang Xi, yeah. uh, has said that this notion that uh, Chinese... Uh, Media cannot, you know, deal, deal in meaningful humor and, and content is an excuse because he says, you know, America. But they're just not funny in the first place. Yeah, he says America. <laughs> America was very repressive in the 50s and 60s, and yet you had people who could work within the system. He very strongly believes that you don't you don't have to have sensitive political content or even off-color content to be funny. Yeah. And that the Chinese comedians are are sort of it's excuse that people say, well, we can't talk about certain things. What do you think of that? I think Chinese again culturally have a much stronger sense of what's appropriate, that humor is appropriate, that for instance it's not, and you know, there, whereas in the West we have a much broader sort of uh, acceptance of, of black humor, um, gallows humor, or you know, or, or just dirty humor, dirty uh, humor, off color humor, or, or in the West even offensive humor. It's okay to be offensive. It's even okay to be racist in Western humor as long as you're racist on an equal opportunity basis. If you <laughs> if you offend everybody, that's okay. And you'll find a lot of Western comedians do that. They'll go up and they'll tell yeah. they'll tell racist jokes, but they make sure that they cover all the bases. So you can tell I'm just a bigot. I'm not you know I'm not anti-black. I'm not anti-Jewish. I'm just a bigot. And isn't that funny? Yeah. That is that. That kind of acceptance doesn't exist, I think, culturally in China. No, a, a Don Rickles sort of insult comedy would not work here. But you know, even for instance, for me, sort of joking around with my kids, um, telling, telling, you know, I, I just I don't know if they're off color, but you know, sort of, sort of breaking through that father-son or father-daughter sort of strict hierarchy and sort of making a joke of yourself kind of thing is not something that many Chinese fathers would do because they just think it's inappropriate. I'm That's the father right. figure, right? right. 
right. But I can go and joke with my buddies when we're drinking, but when I, you know, in front of my 14-year-old daughter, I have to be the figure of authority. Yeah, yeah. And uh, so culturally, I think that's something that's different between China and the West. Uh, kind of wrapping up here, we're kind of running out of time, but uh, we talked in the other day a little bit about this uh, and what you as Dashan, your role here, can do. And the, the, the phrase we came up with, the, the catchphrase, is the, the, you should not let the perfect be the enemy of the good, which is that if you're functioning under the, under the state-controlled media system as a foreigner, you're obviously under certain restrictions or, or, or limits. Yeah. But you don't want to let that stop you from doing what you can do, given the power, I use that word power advisedly, but I mean, you have clout, you have face, you have, you know, uh, you have a name. Yeah. So, so uh, what, how do you see that as, as scooting between, you know, what, what you're able to do po in a positive sense in the media versus the, the fact that you're, the, the fact of you actually appearing there, you've already given up. Um, I, I try to keep my nose fairly close to the ground or my ear close to the ground, whatever the expression is. And I, I pay a lot of attention to random comments uh, from people on the street. You know, you're always trying to get feedback from your audience, um, direct or indirect. So I do pay a lot of attention to that. I, but I've always taken my cue from the audience. I'll do what I... You know, they're, they're, I think from a Western perspective, people are always sort of look from the state angle, the political angle. You're being censored, there are things you can't do, or else you're self-censoring. Well, yes, there is self-censorship, but for me, it's much more what the audience is prepared to accept. Not, it, doesn't, it never goes so far as the censors. And, you know, we, I mean, you know, just in, in daily life, talking to Chinese people, they can, they can talk about political or social issues among themselves quite freely. And as soon as you join that conversation, it's, it's like throwing a bucket of ice on them. They just, there are certain things that they, you know, I don't, I, I try not to let the fact that I'm a foreigner define everything about me, because I think that's one thing. I don't deny that. Yes, I'm a foreigner, but I'm a person, right? And I'm an individual, and being a foreigner is part of my sort of circles of identity. That's part of it, but that's not, that's not everything. I, you, can't, you can't define me just as being a foreigner. But you still have to accept the fact that you are perceived as a foreigner. And those are things that there's an audience level of acceptance. And I think you, you work within those. So I, I mean, I really see myself as not as a foreigner working in China, but as an individual that's decided to work as a performer in this medium. And you, you accept the parameters of, of working in this environment. For me, being the, the sort of foreigner and Chinese are, are important aspects, but it doesn't define everything. Yeah, no, I can get that. A, a few just short, quick questions. Just, are we going to do recommendations up. since this is yeah, going to be Yeah, the Seneca podcast. So I recommend uh, <laughs> checking out Dasha and you know, <laughs> all of his. By the, way, by the way, is there a link to that original skit that you were on on the internet, by the oh, way? Oh, boy. I, uh, I don't know. I, I, Let's, I'll I prefer it. to bury it. I mentioned this the other day. I think there, there are some performers that age very well. And I, I, looking at the Dashan phenomenon from, a, from an independent sort of perspective, I, I don't think, first of all, I don't think my work uh, transfers well out of context. So you take a picture of me playing Edgar Snow in a play, which actually was a really good play, and I'm quite proud of that. But you take the picture out and you just show Dashan with the little red star on his head and everything, and he looks like a goof, right? Looks like a dork, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> um, uh, and I don't think a lot of the skits have aged well either. Like the skits that really went over well in 88, 89, 90, 91, 92, they just, they oh don't play, now. they don't play now. They still, they'll still get a reaction, 
but they they definitely wouldn't go viral to use your expression right. yeah. and I you know and, and I've tried never to sort of go back and just keep doing the same thing I'm always trying to move forward which is which is difficult and not always successful but um, yeah it doesn't necessarily age very well I, yeah, that makes me want to go back and look at them all the more. But, yeah. uh, so that's why I tried to bury them. <laughs> I tried to bury them. Guys, you should have watched that in 1992. Yeah, yeah. That's, that's the internet, no, man. You, there are a couple of things on, uh, on YouTube and on uh, Yoku. Start Googling, okay. Uh, cross-cultural relations, you're in cross-cultural marriage, you have two great kids. <laughs> Any thoughts about how does well, that fit in? How do you? How does Dashan? Do, do, who sleeps in the bed at night? Dashan and your wife, or you and Dashan? Or you and Dashan? Oh, three no, people. I, yeah. <laughs> and this is this is one of the questions that Chinese media asks me most most commonly. And I have to say, first of all, one of the things that really attracted me to my wife in the first place, she was there not in my first appearance, but within the first two years. Uh, so in that sense, she's been with me from from the beginning, but not for the birth of Dashan, not for the not for the the the, uh, the very first two three years. And one of the things that really attracted to me was how much she hated the that whole <laughs> shtick, and she still does. She yeah. still, I mean, she's she's proud of me and she supports me and everything, but she really, I mean, she's never appeared in public. If you Google my wife, the funny thing is, if you or, or Baidu my wife, you come up with this girl that I happened to be walking on the street with in Lhasa one day. And that's your wife. <laughs> no, that was actually Junkun's secretary. Well, that's not we I know the, people. Yeah. We were at the. Uh, we were at the. Uh, the the Dadaosu. I don't know how you call that in English. The Dadaosu in, in Lhasa, and a, and a paparazzi caught us. He didn't even bother to ask if it was my wife, and it, it certainly wasn't my girlfriend. <laughs> um, anyway, if you if you Google, she she she's like totally removed from from the public image. She's never appeared in public. Never allowed our children to have any exposure, and that's one of the things that that attracted me to her. But when you look at when you ask about your cross-cultural marriage and everything, uh, you, maybe you can make some very broad generalizations. But those broad generalizations have been made ad nauseum already, and they're 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 pointless. I mean, it's like talking about two different people from anywhere. What's it like to have a marriage between Texans and New Yorkers? I guess you can sort of look at the stereotypical New Yorker and the stereotypical Texan. You can put them together, but it really won't tell you anything about that particular relationship, because a, a marriage is a union between individuals, not not cultures and civilizations and nations. Mm -hmm. And the, the thing that uh, really struck me a couple of years after being married was uh, watching my wife and uh, mother talk, and I couldn't get a word in edgewise. And I had this terrible realization that it was true that I had married my mother <laughs> just in a different in a different body. In the, uh, it was, uh, basically, they're so they're so alike. They're so alike. And then I thought, you know, come to think of it, I'm an awful lot like my father-in-law. In fact, he has sort of a, a difficult relationship with his son, and I get along with him great because we're just we're just common we're kindred souls. And so here's a guy born in the 30s, Korean War vet on the other side, um, you know, grew up in China through the whole Cultural Revolution, the whole thing. Turned he's a, he's into his 80s now. How could I possibly have anything in common with that person? But that's just the, that's just the common human experience, right? And so, yeah. and so when you take things and you look at them from an East versus West perspective, I think, I think you lose a lot. And I think, I think a big problem we have with the whole discussion of East and West is that the discussion is always at the macro level. We're always looking at the big picture. And I think it's enough, we've had enough looking at the big picture. Let's, let's look at some nitty gritty. Yeah. And that's what I try to do. You know, just one day at a time, one show at a time, one thing at a time. Just let's not let's stop talking about East meets West, and let's just 
Great. Let's just talk great. about. I'm in. Great. I think it's all. It's. I think it's also funny and great that your wife is hates his Dasha. <laughs> so uh, yeah, maybe if we if we interviewed her, would she would she say uh, this Dasha seems like a nice guy, but sometimes I just want to punch him in the face? Yeah. See, like even your wife has this. this Nobody in my family calls me Dashan. That's uh, that's that's my work. Yeah. Okay. Uh, final question. Social media. We don't really have time to talk about it too much, but you're on social media. Thoughts about that? How do you use social media, and what do you think about its influence on the current, you know, uh, media scene? Well, it's it's, uh, it's a huge change, of course. Um, from the from the Ed Sullivan days of China uh, of Chinese television to uh, to the internet, I don't know. It's. Uh, you know, uh, one observation I would make, I think, is that, again, there the discussion tends to get bogged down in politics. The great firewall of China, Twitter and Facebook are blocked, uh, so you have these Chinese social medias and everything, but I don't know if that's the whole story. I still think that there's, there's a natural cultural drive towards socializing with your own people, with your own kind. And I think that's, you know, we've talked a lot, or in general, the media has talked a lot about the good side of social media. I think there's a, uh, there's a bad side in that maybe we're less exposed to different things now because we tend to just sort of gravitate towards like-minded people. Um, I, I don't, uh, quite apart from the Great Firewall of China, I don't sense a great desire of the Chinese people to join Twitter. They're much happier on their own social media. And I think anyone who wants to do cross-cultural work, you have to get out of your own comfort zone and go and work in somebody else's. Yeah. Um, you know, and, and I, I, I avoided Twitter for uh, the first few years. I guess, how, how old is Twitter now? So, uh, not a few years. Um, just because it was blocked in China and I thought it was irrelevant. And, uh, and you know, the last couple of years, I, or the last couple of months, I've been more active on Twitter and I've been trying to keep the Weibo going and everything. And frankly, I find Twitter an awful lot easier mm -hmm. uh, because it's much easier to talk to your own kind. It's yeah. very difficult to speak in a foreign language and speak to a, to, a, to a totally different cultural but audience. But I think that's the important thing that I should be doing. Right? There, there are a lot of foreigners or Westerners talking to other Westerners about China. And there are a lot of Chinese talking to other Chinese about the West. But there are not that many who really cross as a Westerner speaking to a Chinese audience, as a Chinese person speaking to a Western audience. Those people are, I mean, that's what I see my mission being. Are you Dashan on Weibo and Mark Roswell on Twitter? Ah, no. But again, it's um, because, because I'm both. So the, the great thing for me about social media in China is that I can be unfiltered, right? Without, you know, I'm still respectful and uh, I try not to offend unless I you know, really want to offend for some reason. Um, um, so I'm still Dashan on Weibo, but I think, I think it's been great because the last two or three years it's, it's allowed the audience to see a more three-dimensional Dashan instead of just, you know, the, the, the problem I think with a lot of the, the perception is that when you work as a TV host, yet, you know, you're smiling an awful lot and it's just even, everything great. <laughs> I, what a great show and I, this is great, everything's great, yeah. <laughs> so social media allows you to, to present a more three-dimensional image of yourself. And Twitter, the, what I finally decided to do with Twitter is just recognize that these are totally different audiences. The, the audience on Twitter and the audience on Weibo are totally different audience. The audience on 
Xinlang Weibo and on Tangshun Weibo are also totally different, yeah, yeah, which is that, yeah. which is interesting. Mm-hmm. Uh, so I'm on all three, and you just do different things on because they're, you're speaking to different groups of people, and so there are Chinese on Twitter, but uh, but relatively few, and they tend to be the dissident community. Right, right. Um, so I I in on Twitter I do almost exclusively English, and I speak to that either expat or the dissident audience. That's that that's the audience on Twitter, and on Weibo it's a totally different audience. Right. So I again I I don't treat it as east or west or foreigners or Chinese. I treat it as as audiences. If I'm if I'm performing you know at a at a at a nightclub, I'm going to be doing a different kind of performance than I would be doing on CCTV, right? Yeah. I'd wear less and I'd <laughs> show a little flesh. Yeah, it, it's different audiences. Yeah, right. And I, yeah, so I think I, I just hope we could we can get away from this sort of pegging everyone either as A or B and realize that there's a whole lot in between. Great. That's a great way to end it. Mark, thanks a lot for coming here and bearing your soul, showing us a more nuanced version of Dashan. And let's give Mark a big hand for having the courage, the courage to do that. I naturally start to applaud myself. Maybe that's so Chinese. That, yeah, I noticed that. I yeah. once did that on stage in Ottawa, and my brother was there, and he, he said, you came out on stage and you applauded yourself? yourself. I thought, oh, that's no. <laughs>